Good morning. How are you? How did you sleep? I hope you slept well. It's good to see everyone again. Your faces look fresh and ready to go. Some of you are very nicely dressed. It's like you have your Sunday church clothes on. Very nice. You know, I'm really excited for you this weekend. Really excited. Why? Jesus says, All the divine floodgates through which graces flow are opened. I pour out a whole ocean of graces upon those souls who approach the fount of my mercy. That's what's going to happen this weekend. If you can't go to the beach this weekend, not to worry. Jesus brings the ocean to you. Have you seen an ocean? You know, I sometimes fly over the Pacific Ocean. It takes like 14 hours. That's a lot of ocean. That's a lot of grace. Can you drink an ocean? God is giving more grace than you can handle or imagine. And it's way better than the Pacific. In the Pacific, you swim, you get wet, it's cold, it's salty, that's it. This weekend, Jesus is pouring out an ocean of mercy. Do you know mercy? Do you know mercy? If you swim in this ocean, do you know what happens? There's healing, consolation, renewal, conversion, transformation, abundant life, peace, joy, and all the grace as far as the eye can see. So get ready. Prepare yourselves for an ocean of mercy. Let us begin with prayer. This morning I felt inspired to pray a prayer of St. Faustina. I felt, I felt it would be fitting for this morning's conference, as well as for our current crisis in the world. This is from her diary, 1570. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. O great merciful God, infinite goodness, today all mankind calls out from the abyss of its misery to your mercy, to your compassion, O God. And it is with its mighty voice of misery that it cries out. Gracious God, do not reject the prayer of this earth's exiles. O Lord, goodness beyond our understanding, who are acquainted with our misery through and through, and know that by our own power we cannot ascend to you. We implore you, anticipate us with your grace, and keep on increasing your mercy in us, that we may faithfully do your holy will all through our life and at death's hour. Let the omnipotence of your mercy shield us from the darts of our salvation's enemies, that we may with confidence as your children await your final coming, that day known to you alone. And we expect to obtain everything promised us by Jesus in spite of all our wretchedness. For Jesus is our hope through his merciful heart as through an open gate, 
we pass through to heaven. Amen. Mary, Mother of Mercy, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. Saint Faustina, pray for us. Saint John Paul II, pray for us. Saint Teresa of Avila, pray for us. Saint John of the Cross, pray for us. Saint Therese of the Little Flower, pray for us. All of God's angels and saints, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. I wanted to share another passage from St. Faustina. She says, I desire that all mankind come to know the Lord. I would like to prepare all nations for the Word incarnate. O Jesus, make the fount of your mercy gush forth more abundantly, for mankind is seriously ill and thus has more need than ever of your compassion. She wants all mankind to know the Lord, but said, mankind is seriously ill. She wrote that in the 1930s. What would she say right now? Maybe gravely ill? Almost dead? Rest assured, St. Faustina is praying for us during this retreat to know his mercy. In this time, I get the sense that God is trying to help us to get to this place of misery. And this pandemic is simply a tool that God is using to help us get there. Why? Because this is our true state. And when we realize and accept it, then we would learn to turn with trust and ask him for his mercy. Let me explain. Before I was a seminarian, I was living with my parents. My cousin stayed with us for a few years with her two children. They were both in elementary school. I was helping her son with math. Let's call him Brian. I was helping Brian doing simple addition. One plus one, two plus two. Everything can be done counting on one hand. Later he got to the challenge problems, more difficult ones. He looked at the first problem and said, I can't do it. Can you help me? I looked at it. It was five plus two. Brian hadn't graduated to using two hands yet. I said, okay, show me five fingers. Now, on the other hand, show me two fingers. Now count them. He wasn't sure how. I said, use your nose. So he counted. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Correct. You did it. He smiled. He was so happy. At dinner time, he told his mom he was able to do all the challenge problems. What just happened? In doing his homework, Brian discovered his limitation, his weakness, his inability to add five plus two. It was simply impossible for him. He was helpless. This is the place of, let's call it misery. So what did he do? He accepted it and turned with trust to a higher person and received help. 
Now let's look at sin. Sin is a slightly bigger problem than math, but the principle is the same. Because of our sins, we come to this place of our own misery. I'm sick and tired of my sins. I am an abyss of misery. I don't know how to help myself. The truth of our condition. So what should we do? According to the message of divine mercy, we recognize and accept our helplessness. Then we turn to Jesus. Lord, can you help me? That's trust. And when we turn with trust, we experience his mercy. Do you get it? Do you see the recurring pattern of misery, trust, and mercy? God is allowing these difficulties, trials, pandemics to happen for a reason, to help us discover this place of misery. Some people might call it rock bottom, a place of helplessness, so that we might discover who we truly need in our life, Him. The more we discover how great our sins are, the more we will turn to Him with trust, and the more we will experience His mercy. Conversely, the less we discover our sinfulness, then the less we will trust and experience His mercy. Listen to St. Faustina. She says, my happiest moments are when I am alone with my Lord. During these moments, I experience the greatness of God and my own misery. These are her happiest moments. She knows who she is, misery, and she knows who God is, mercy, and she trusts. The reason why she was able to experience great mercy was because she was able to see and accept her great misery. Do you get it? I encourage you to learn to find this place and to get comfortable in it so that you can stay and remain in this happy place. If you, if you look at the world right now, everyone fears being infected with coronavirus. Would you agree? Observe the panic buying, social distancing, masks, hand sanitizer, gloves. We have never washed our hands so much in our entire lives. Even doctors and nurses are scared to handle coronavirus patients. Coronavirus is deadly, but there is a far more deadly virus that we should fear. Do you know this virus? Sin. What is worse, coronavirus or sin? How many of you think coronavirus is worse? Raise your hands. And how many of you think sin is worse? Raise your hands. Some of you didn't raise your hands. Maybe it's too early in the morning. Coronavirus can only kill your body, but sin kills your soul, your eternal soul. Jesus said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, 
Be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in Gehenna. That's sin. I think people are more afraid of coronavirus than sin. Has anyone ever gone shopping lately? Did you go last week? Did you wear a mask, gloves? Did you keep social distance? Did they limit how many customers can go into the store? Did you wipe down your shopping cart? Were you careful with the items you touched in the store? Did you sanitize your groceries when you got home? Did you wash your clothes and take a shower when you got home? Why so many precautions? What are you afraid of? Do you see how careful we are at avoiding coronavirus? But are we that careful in avoiding sin? I have another scenario. Would you ever knowingly invite someone infected with coronavirus into your home? Welcome, come inside, meet my family. This is my wife, my three children. You can shake hands, go ahead. Here are my parents, my grandparents. Listen everyone, this is our new guest. This person that you see before you has tested positive for coronavirus. I wanted all of you to meet him. Would you ever do that? You would be insane. You could kill your family. Yet, yet, how many of us bring sin into our homes? By our speech, by our actions, by our bad example, every day. And which is more deadly? coronavirus or sin. By our sins, we are literally killing our own families. Here's a question. How many people have you infected because of your sins? Do you know? This could be inviting them to sin, engaging in sin with them, suggesting them to sin, influencing them to sin by your example, gossip, bad language, drunkenness, fornication, unforgiveness. Can you count the number? 10 people? 25 people? 50 people? 100 people? More? It's mind-boggling to think how many people we may have infected in our lifetime. And how many people infected you because of their sins? We are just infecting one another. Can we just allow this to continue? Is this okay? Or is there need for change? Pope Pius XII said, The greatest sin in the world is the loss of the sense of sin. We no longer see sin as sin anymore. I've entitled this talk, Am I Infected? 
Are you infected? Are we infected? How do we answer that? Do we realize that we are infected with something worse than coronavirus? St. Paul says, all have sinned and are deprived of the glory of God. There is a greater pandemic than coronavirus. It's called the pandemic of sin. Jesus did not die for coronavirus, but he did die for our sins. Imagine if we were as careful in avoiding sin as we are careful in avoiding coronavirus. How much more careful we would be on the internet and TV not to watch sin. How much more careful we would be with our speech, especially when upset or angry, not to speak sin. How much more careful we would be in choosing what to do with our free time and leisure, not to commit sin. How much more careful we would be in choosing our friends and who we hang out with, not to be influenced by others' sin. Do we see how sick is our sickness? Do we even realize how sinful we are? Saint Faustina saw this in herself. In several places in the diary, she would write, I am an abyss of misery. I am an abyss of wretchedness. My soul is the most wretched of all. She recognizes the truth of herself, of her sinfulness. She uses the word abyss. What is an abyss? An abyss is a deep, seemingly bottomless chasm or pit. Now imagine an abyss of misery, wretchedness, and sin. That's a lot of sin. Would we ever describe ourselves as that? Do we see how sick we really are? If she is an abyss, then what are we? And she was a religious sister. I'm afraid to even answer the question. It's frightening. In the medical practice, in order to administer the treatment, you must first diagnose the illness. One of the goals or fruits of silence or of being quarantined is to come to a greater knowledge of ourselves, to know the truth of our human condition. One of the most painful truths about our human condition is that we are sinners. Each and every person must come to the truth of his own sinfulness. Without this diagnosis, we could never be healed. We would never seek treatment because we wouldn't see ourselves as sick. Let us pray and ask the Lord. Lord, help me to see and recognize my own sinfulness.
St. Faustina gives us some helpful advice. Let no one doubt concerning the goodness of God. Even if a person's sins were as dark as night, God's mercy is stronger than our misery. One thing alone is necessary, that the sinner set ajar the door of his heart, be it ever so little, to let in a ray of God's merciful grace, and then God will do the rest. So before we continue, let us set ajar the door of our heart and let God's merciful grace enter in. In the diary, Jesus offers a lot of advice for sinners, but this one I think summarizes it best. He says, when a soul sees and realizes the gravity of its sins, when the whole abyss of the misery into which it immersed itself is displayed before its eyes, let it not despair, but with trust, let it throw itself into the arms of my mercy. Jesus offers the sinner three simple steps. First, to realize his sins. Second, to not despair. And third, to trust in his mercy. Allow me to break them down. First, to realize our sins. This is not just some pious practice, but a necessary first step. We must realize our sins. I remember a story of an Italian family, husband, wife, and mother-in-law. They would attend mass together the husband in the center, the wife to the right, and mother-in-law on the left. When it got to the confidier, the I confess, the husband would say, mia colpa, my fault, and touch his fist to his breast. Then he says the second, mia colpa, and touch his fist to the breast of his wife. Then the last, mia grandissima colpa, he touch his fist to his mother-in-law. It's easy to see the sins of others, but not to see the sins of our own. Jesus wants us to recognize our own sins and take ownership. Jesus says to Faustina, you have not offered me that which is really yours. Give me your misery because it is your exclusive property. This is not the time to play the blame game or point fingers. It's not my fault. He started it. Anytime you point a finger at someone, three more are pointing back at you. I must really own what belongs to me. I did that. It was my fault. Each and every person must come to the truth of his own sinfulness. Don't be afraid to ask the Lord for help. Pray, Lord, if I really am an abyss of wretchedness, help me to see it. But slowly, Lord, be merciful. A good exercise during this retreat 
would be to find a good examination of conscience and to identify all your sins. Ask for the light of the Holy Spirit and be as thorough as possible, not skipping over even the smallest sins. Yes, this is dirty work, maybe even the dirtiest work, but it must be done. It's like changing diapers or washing dishes. No one wants to do it, but someone has to do it. I think what we are really working towards is spiritual maturity. Children often blame and deny, but the mark of a mature Christian is accepting responsibility for his own actions. Second, do not despair. There is a strong temptation that when we see the immensity of our sins, we would rather just give up. This is too much. I can't do it. My sins are too great. I can never become a good person. This is a tactic of the devil, to get sinners to fall into despair. St. Faustina offers this advice. In my own interior life, I am looking with one eye at the abyss of my own misery and baseness, and with the other at the abyss of your mercy, O God. Can you imagine one eye looking down at our own misery and the other looking up at God's mercy? Kind of cross-eyed. I see some of you are actually trying to do this. You look ridiculous. It's meant to be taken spiritually. Stop trying or your face will stay that way. But spiritually speaking, this is actually the healthy perspective. The devil would have us only focus on one or the other. If we only focus on our misery, then we may fall into despair. On the other hand, if we focus only on God's mercy, then we may fall into presumption. The healthy vision is having this simultaneous double focus, one on our misery and the other on God's mercy. I remember one man who came to confession crying. Men usually don't cry. Throughout his confession, knowing that he had committed many grievous sins, he kept asking me, Father, Will God forgive me? He knew he was an abyss of sinfulness. He was certain of that. But he struggled with despair, thinking that his sins were greater than God's mercy. I had to keep reassuring him, yes, God forgives you. I think it was after the seventh time that he finally surrendered to the truth and cried even more. But this time, tears of joy. Third, trust in his mercy. Jesus says, let the sinner throw himself in the arms of my mercy. Sinners can lean on his mercy, but Jesus wants us to throw ourselves, to leap into his arms of mercy. I heard a story of an alcoholic drug addict. He tried many times to quit but would subsequently fall even harder. He was simply fed up with his life 
and wanted to end it all by suicide. Then a thought entered his mind. Give God one more chance. So he walked to the nearby church, knelt down, and prayed with tears. Lord, I can no longer take care of myself. You must take care of me. Then he sat and just wept. After he left the church, he felt better. Amazingly, he never went back to the drugs and alcohol again. When we trust, we learn to rely not on ourselves, but on the mercy of God to sustain us. Jesus says, the greater the sinner, the greater his right to God's mercy. Just as there is a right to life, we also have a right to mercy. How do you qualify? Well, are you a sinner? If so, then you qualify. And if you're a greater sinner, then you have a greater right. Sinners just have to trust to claim his mercy. A good friend once shared me the story of two sisters playing in the pool with their father. The father was in the pool encouraging his daughters to jump in. I'll catch you. The first girl trusted in her father and immediately jumped in. Her father caught her safely. However, the second girl would not jump in. She was too afraid to jump and just stood by the wall watching. The first girl then got out of the pool and jumped again, enjoying herself and playing with her father, while the second girl kept saying no and just watched. Which sister are you? When we trust, there is life, freedom, and joy. When we do not trust, there is isolation and sadness. One last sobering word about trust. Jesus praises St. Faustina's trust, saying, I seek and desire souls like yours, but they are few. It is a sad reality that only few souls trust in the mercy of Jesus. Jesus said so himself. How many of you, after this retreat, will truly trust in the mercy of God? Jesus didn't say that there were many. Essentially, an important meeting or encounter must take place. I call it the meeting of abysses. It is the meeting of our abyss of misery and God's abyss of mercy. When our abyss of misery meets his abyss of mercy, something beautiful happens. You're going to love this. Jesus says, my mercy is greater than your sins. Your misery has disappeared in the depths of my mercy. What happens when the abysses meet? Our abyss disappears. No more misery, all gone, disappeared. What happens now? 
Jesus says, The greatest sinners would achieve great sanctity if only they would trust in my mercy. The very inner depths of my being are filled to overflowing with mercy, and it is being poured out upon all I have created. My delight is to act in a human soul and to fill it with my mercy. We become a new abyss, an abyss of his mercy. Each and every person must come to the realization of his or her own wretchedness, sooner, better than later. And each and every person must learn to trust in God's mercy rather than in themselves. I tell you a story. I lived in Rome for two years and it was a very difficult time in my life. I didn't speak Italian very well. I didn't have any friends and I was homesick. Oh, when I was down and oh, my soul so weary because of my poor Italian and lack of friends. When troubles came and my heart burdened because of being homesick and alone, then I was still and waited in the silence before the Blessed Sacrament until he came and spent some time with me. And then I had an epiphany and said to the Lord, You raise me up so I can stand on mountains. You raise me up to walk on stormy seas. I am strong when I am on your shoulders. You raise me up to more than I can be. Perhaps I should write a song. All joking aside, it's a beautiful song when you see it in relation between our miserable selves and our merciful God. Notice how it starts with being down in misery. It continues with being still and sitting in silence. Then it concludes with his mercy that raises us up to overcome mountains and storms of life so that we can be something more. This might be a good theme song for this conference. Before I end, I wanted to say a word about the mystics. Mystics like St. Faustina, St. Catherine of Siena, St. Teresa of Avila, Padre Pio, are a special group of people that God has given a special grace. They have a fuller and deeper experience of reality because God has given them the grace to experience more. Sister Ruth Burroughs describes this as light on, light off. The mystics are light on, meaning that they see and experience life as if the lights are on. They see Jesus, Mary, angels, saints, demons, the effects of sin, even heaven and hell. This is only by God's grace. The rest of us, average people, experience life with the lights off, in the dark. We don't get to see all the supernatural things. 
However, they still exist. They are still there. We just don't see them because it's dark. You get it? The lights are off. The mystics, their gift to the church and the world is that they give us vision to see the greater reality. In a sense, they are our eyes to the existence of the supernatural life. They support what is already revealed in scripture and in the teachings of the church. So who is more blessed? Well, we are, the average person. Why? Jesus himself says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.